All right, let's go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word, for a place of freedom to meet, for a building. Father, we ask for uh, wisdom as we study your word to see how it applies to us, that we can live uh, in a way pleasing to you and that would be glorifying to your name and that others would come to you because of it. We ask you for uh, so many in our church family that are still suffering, things that are physically uh, things they're dealing with, some spiritual, that you would uh, arrest their attention, you, that they would just trust you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are uh, opening up the book of Revelation to start. You know, it's going to be a while. We'll have to take some breaks in between. I don't know what your preconceived ideas are about Revelation. Everybody in their brother has an idea. Uh, if you get mad, just say, I disagree, okay? I mean, if you disagree, just disagree, don't get mad. Because there's a lot of things that I've heard preachers say over the years about Revelation that you, just, you, don't, you can't hardly say that and say, this is exactly the way it is. Have you, have you ever tried to explain to someone something that they've never seen before or they've never had any kind of dealings with completely? Be like, if they dropped you out of a helicopter in the middle of a jungle somewhere, and you know for sure no one over there, they, they don't have generators, there's no electricity, so they have no concept of what that is. How would you begin to explain to them what electricity is and how it works? How would you do that? That's kind of what we're talking about here. John is trying to pass on something that Jesus has given him to help absolutely, uh, and we'll see, it's, it's vitally important that you understand a lot of what he's saying is pertaining to the church that's alive at that moment that's under a lot of persecution. But also, in the same time, some things that are yet to come that will affect us and the people that live after us. You know, how do you... You know, how do you, you know, Paul himself said what he was caught up in the third heaven. He's, talk, he's seeing things. How is he going to explain that to us? So you have to keep that in mind. And uh, another thing in the book of Revelation, John mixes his metaphors. He, he's talking about a lion and he's talking about a lamb and it's the same thing. And then this is analogy for this and this is over here. And you say, how, what exactly? How does that work out? Some of it we can try to figure out. Some of it we don't. And another thing is some of the things that we'll start looking at early on in the book, you really won't grab until you get to chapter 17. So don't make a, a judgment on something early because it might not be explained later on, especially when you get into beasts and the false prophet and what that is and, and all those different things. Some of those won't finally come to a little bit clearer understanding to way, way late in the book, even though he mentions those things. So you've got to keep all that in mind, all right? Today is just basically an introduction, and it's a long one. We won't get finished, but Danny will put the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put, the, put it out there for you. You can read over it. Uh, we might get down to just the introduction to verse 5, as far as we might go. But let's read it anyway. <clears throat> if my thing will work here. Yes. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, and it's revelation. <laughs> it's not revelations. How many times do I hear people say, 
preachers. The revelations, no, it's singular. The revelation, not revelations, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto us uh, his servants, even the things which must shortly come to pass. <clears throat> and he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bore witness of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, even of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. Boy, here's a praise right in the beginning. You need to remember this one as we go through this thing, all right? Blessed is he that readeth and that they hear the words of prophecy and keep the things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits that are before his throne. What are the seven spirits? Here we are. We're starting. You've got to go back to Ezekiel. You've got to go back to Isaiah, where some of that's talked about in the Old Testament. And there's all kind of allusions, alluding back to the Old Testament, but there's less quotations from the Old Testament in the book of Revelation than any other book in the New Testament, okay? But you see, he's got to be alluding back to that. He's, he's going back to that concept, even though he doesn't quote it. But that's what this is. It comes out of that. So some of that is you've got to go back and think about all those things to try to put this thing together. Uh, and John's doing that. He's going back to the Old Testament. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Boy, this is a, this is a praise for us. We need to remember this as we're going through this, what he's doing. Unto him that love us and loose us from our sins by his blood. And he made us to be a kingdom, to be priests unto his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they that uh, pierce him, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn over him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, saith the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay? That's just as far as we're going to go. And that's kind of, that's his introduction. And boy, there's a lot in that introduction. But there's a couple things we want to just remind ourselves of. I don't want to insult your intelligence. But there are some things to even begin to understand this whole concept of revelation. A few things we need to go back and understand about the writings that would take place of this nature uh, in Jewish history. All right? The first thing to recognize about it is it belongs to a, a, a genre, a, a literature. Like, you know, there's something called poetry. There's something called drama. There's something called science fiction. You know, one guy, uh, he, handed, he handed the Bible to a young guy on the college campus, and he asked him, would he read it? He said, yeah, I'll read it. So months later, he got back to him and said, you'd read it? He said, yeah. Uh, he started, he said, just read the New Testament, okay? And uh, so he said, what do you think? He said, well, you know, it was kind of repetitive. And then he said, this book was this way. He said, but that science fiction at the end, man, that was something else. He thought the book of Revelation was science fiction. Some people don't understand you know, what it really is. You've got to understand where it's coming from. What kind of, what kind of literature is uh, this book? Even though it kind of comes to us as a letter, it's really not a letter like Paul would write the letters to the churches that he's writing to, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians. Though. It's not the same as that. That was not uncommon from about the 2nd century B.C., uh, 300 on up to A.D., 200. Toward the end of the 2nd century, in both Jewish and Christian circles, we call that literature apocalyptic. 
You know, some of it is in uh, the Apocrypha, you know, the books in the Catholic Bible and some Episcopal Bibles that we, do, we don't see it as canon. We, we don't see it. But you'll see uh, the book of Enoch. Uh, you'll see 1st, 2nd, Edras. They're, ap- they're ap- apocalyptic uh, writings. So, you know, if you, if you went back and you read the book of Enoch, you might say, well, this is not so strange because that is the kind of the mentality that they were writing about in that era. So, but it's brand new if you've never seen any of that. When you come in here, you say, man, this is a strange book. It is, but it's not. But that's what it is. But it helps to understand that. Almost always in that kind of literature, it is heaven's perspective. That's what John is showing us, you know. He's showing us what God's eye view is of this thing. It's God's view on history and what is going on. Not writing from down here, but writing from up there what it looks like and what is going to happen. That's the concept. It's not looking at things from below, but it's looking at things from above. So the seer, in this case, John, the prophet, is caught up in the heaven. And what Paul said, he was caught up in the third heaven. He's going to try to describe things. That he said, I don't know what words to use. How do I describe electricity to somebody who doesn't know what it is? You start telling them, well, you know, we cut down trees. Then we put this wire and we run this stuff through it. Can you imagine what that'd be like? You ever try to explain how a car works, the engine works to somebody who has no clue whatsoever? You know, like that old lady, she, her car was stuck and she couldn't get it cranked. And so this guy was coming along and he started just stopping, help her in. So... He said, man, what's the matter? She said, I don't, I don't know. My car won't start. So uh, she turned it over, and he said, well, it, it's firing. Uh, and uh, so he said, uh, let me try it. So he goes in there. He starts to turn it. He looks, and the gas hand is past empty. And he said, ma'am, there ain't nothing wrong with the car. It's just out of gas. She said, will it hurt driving home that way? No clue. No clue. This is what happens if we don't back up and look at some of this stuff. You know, you say, well, it, it, it wouldn't hurt you. Don't spend a lot of money on it. I don't even know if you can find a paper copy of it, probably the book of Enoch. That's kind of what this was. When you see that kind of writing, and that's what the Jews were doing, you say, this is not so strange. And it might help you understand the way they spoke some of it. In order to see the things that looked at from God's perspective, that's, that's what he's trying to do. Symbolism, boy. A lot of it. <laughs> Black and white. Similar, pretty plain. Boy, you got this evil, this is what it looks like, and this good, this is what it looks like. No gray area. It's pretty serious. It gives us a kind of God's eye view of sweeping history. The whole thing. Now, in one sense, the whole Bible gives us that. That's what the Bible does, yes. But here, directly in a visionary, highly symbol-laden. You know, like the Old Testament. When you look at the temple... And everything that God prescribed for them to do in the temple, everything with that was symbol-laden that was a picture of Jesus that he would fulfill. You know how you had the candle. Jesus said, I am the light. You have the bread. I am. Everything was to draw attention to the one who would come that would fulfill that. That's what it was, a very symbol-laden. Through human immediate to the entire church. That's what, that, that's what it is. It's a spectacular from heaven point of view. You know, everything looks different from the sky, doesn't it? Hello? Yeah. Down here on the flat ground, driving in a car looks one way. You get up there and you can see the whole thing. You say, wow, it is different. And it includes all kind of stuff, you know, uh, sufferings and terror. Wow. You're talking about terror. 
You wait, we get over there in 17 on, whenever we get there. You said, man, that's kind of scary. It is. Victory, drama, all of it. And it's going somewhere. It's moving. Uh, so if you haven't started reading the book of Revelation, please go ahead and read it as often as you can. The idea is, the whole thing is, some things must take place soon. Now, if you remember watching The Chosen, every time the word soon came up, what did Jesus say? Y'all remember? He said, well, there's that word again. What does that mean? Soon for us might not mean the same thing when soon for God. What did he say? A day with him is like what? A thousand years? We forget those things like that. But what soon means, and it's very controversial among theologians and among church people, what does that mean? You know, eventually we'll get into some of those things where they say, this is what it means. Then you go into amillennialism, a premillennialism, a pre-trib, a post-trib. All those things have to do with how you interpret this word. What does that mean? You know, what, what does that mean? What does it mean? How soon was it since Jesus didn't come back in that first century? In Matthew 24, when he was talking about these things are going to happen soon, yet Jesus didn't come back in that generation. So how, how, how do we figure that out? You say, this is a little complicated. It is. It is complicated. So take the word soon here to mean that once the events begin, they will proceed rapidly. Some of them say that once they start, boy, it's going to take off. Yeah. It seems more natural to take them as a frequent sense of implying that when they come, they'll be swiftly coming. Whenever that actually starts, uh, you say, well, I don't, is there much difference? Well, a little bit. We ain't going to spend a lot of time on that today. That'll come later, all right? Many of the events promised in the book actually have begun in or before John's day. Remember what he told us? He said, little children, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, little children, the Antichrist are already here. You know, he, so it's not, it's not uh, as if everything is future. Well, we'll get that. I'm going to give you four fundamental views that people look at Revelation and they try to say, this is what it means. This is how you interpret it. But Jesus didn't come right then. He didn't come, he didn't come quickly. The expectation might be if John meant that the time was near in the sense in which Mark talked about it. He says what? The kingdom is near in us. Remember? Whenever he started, that's exactly what he said. All the consummation was future before it's finished. The kingdom was invading the present through the activity of Jesus. So that's exactly what he said. He says, the kingdom of heaven is here, meaning me. It starts with me. Placing its demands on our lives, but it's not finished yet. So when you see, you look at that concept and you try to look at it, how, how does it work out? What does that mean? It is a narrative that finally climaxes in either heaven or hell. <laughs> and that's where it goes in the very end. It's one of those things. That's what it means. And we have to try to look at some of this and some more of this unfold as we go through it, the background, even the seven churches that he deals with. And some of the interpretations that you've heard in your life about, oh, this is what that means, this is what that means. The people in Laodicea would have said, no, that ain't what that means. What you're saying water means that Jesus is going to spew you out. It has nothing to do with the one. Anyway, I won't get into that one right now. How they were understood in the first century. You know how important that is? You know what's going on in our Constitution right now? They're trying to interpret and reinterpret what it says, and they don't really care what it meant in the day it was written. You have to know what was intended when they were writing it and the concept to stay on track. If you come out here today and say, well, this is what it means today. No, 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 no. 
you got to back up. It's the same thing. You got to try to understand. We have to try to understand what was it meaning? How did the people that John was writing it to and heard it and living it out, how did they interpret it? That's essential. Or we'll never get it right. Nobody wants to ask that. Well, this is what it means to us now. What did it mean then? Try to get back to that. Can we know? Well, we have a pretty good idea. It often introduces a theme or symbol that is unpacked later in the book. So don't get hung up. Well, I don't know what this means yet. Wait. Make some notes. Just to come back up. Maybe it'll be clearer then. When we face this temptation, Christ's revelation puts everything into perspective for us. You know, I think absolutely. He's writing at that moment in time to a church that was being persecuted. Some of them had already been killed and will be killed. And he's writing to them. This is going to happen. It's happening right now in different parts of the world. It may happen to us before Jesus comes back. You know, it's real time. This is how it applied then. This is how it's going to unfold. No matter how difficult our situation, Revelation announces that God is still in control. That's what we have to remember. Even in the day we're living right now, with all the nonsense going on, we have to remember God is still in control. You know, he, He's still in control. And that He will conclude this stage of history just the way He promised He's going to do it. I don't care who the president is. They're not going to change that. They're not going to change God's plan. They are not. North American Christians have proved to be a little, we have proved a little bit timid in the sense of uh, evangelistic, being evangelistic, talking to people. You know, right now it's guarded gates and nobody wants to talk to you. Even if you're brave enough to talk to them, they don't want to talk about it. And so Revelation challenges all of our complacency. Why? Because you're about to face life or death for your situation. That's, that's what they're doing. That's what they're going through. By pointing us to the price that true Christians must be willing to pay for following Jesus. By understanding, don't compromise. And if you don't compromise, it might cost you head. You know, it might, they might kill you. Inescapably, because it's going against everything that Jesus says we should be doing. We have to understand that. Remember that when we go through the book. Verse 3. It's not only a blessing, but a blessing specifically directed toward those who hear it. It means pay attention. It means read it. Study it some. There's nothing wrong with that. It is not good news for everyone, though. You know, when you come down to the end, ooh, it's going to be bad. That's what it says. It should terrify those who are satisfied with the way things are. Well, I'm saved, and that's all I need to worry about. So you don't really examine your life, see how you're treating somebody, how things are going on in your life that's going to affect anybody else. I'm, I'm satisfied. The same way it would have terrified many ancient readers who were living out this in the day that John was, uh, you know, probably it was a letter that was passed around. John is, John's not on the island by himself. Patmos was in, inhabited. Uh, it's not like he was out there all alone by himself, okay? When he writes a letter, how he gets back to the church, probably. He didn't make a lot of copies. Probably it started with this church and it was passed on, so they all got, they all read the letter, but not necessarily. They would have read all, they would have read all the letters that he, I mean, they would have read all the parts of the letter, even though it was one letter, because they probably all didn't get an individual copy. It's just not, there was no printing press then, right? And I'm sure John's going to say, I'm going to write one, pass it around. You know, I'm, I don't know. We don't have any proof of that. 
It just sounds like maybe that's what it was. It's intertwined that a lot of our decisions really depend on what you make of the later pieces in the book. So, like I said, don't make any conclusions yet on some of this stuff till we get through it. Make some notes. Well, you know, he said this back over here. And then we get over here in chapter 17 and say, oh, what, well, how does that work? It's tied back to it. You know, John's talking all over the place in some respects because he mentions it here and then he comes back to it. We do that, right? And if you're around somebody who talks real fast, it's hard. Like my wife and my daughter. Boy, I don't know. Do y'all think they talk fast? I think they talk fast. And I tell them quite often, I said, because I watch some of you when they're talking to you and you're like, what? What did they say? I said, and so I'll tell them, I said, you need to slow down a little bit. Sometimes they get offended by it. I said, I'm serious. They don't understand you. You're talking too fast. You know? Now, can I be honest with you? The way I was raised, when you're talking, I don't talk. I don't butt in. They do. You're telling a story, and they say, well, here they go. I said, oh, wait a minute, let them finish. No, that ain't the way that works. It goes back and forth. I said, we're not Jewish. You know, Jewish people do that. We're not that way. And what happens is they interrupt you, and you don't finish your story. I know. I'm standing there watching, and I tell them when we get away from here, and they don't like it sometimes. I said, listen, y'all need to pay attention to that. Everybody don't operate like you do in that sense. You know, let them finish their story. My mom used to do it my dad all the time. And I'd ask dad a question, and mom would answer it. And I'd say, daddy, what do you think? And sometimes I did it three times before he got to speak. Why? I'm serious. Mom didn't think anything about it. But you can't do that, all right? What got me off on that anyway? Why did I start on that? Oh, yeah. Holding things together. Make a few notes. We're going to come back to it because John is kind of all over the place. You know, he, he understands what he's saying, but we don't understand what he's saying. And some of the categories are picked up and developed later. They will be. That's exactly what you see. You'll see things in 13 and then again in 17 and 20, and you say, whoa, he's going back there. So somebody will be put together later. Don't come to a conclusion yet on some of this stuff. Why? What they refer to without doing a lot of detailed study, you know. You've you, you got to wait on some of it. We're this, especially when we get into these beasts and the false prophets and who is that and they're coming up out of this and what does that mean? And that's, it's hard, you know. It's, it's hard to grasp some of that. But just remember, God's still in control. The symbolism of apocalypse is particularly appropriate for describing divine realities. It's hard to describe those. What did Paul say? I'm in the third heaven. How, what words can I use that you'll get? How are you going to describe that pygmy in New Guinea electricity when he has no concept whatsoever what that means? How do, we going to get, how do we get it? How does it transfer? What does it run? Think about that sometime, and you'll understand how, why this is difficult. How shall we talk about the throne of room of God apart from what Paul said? Can you describe it? His hair was like wool. That doesn't mean he was a black person and had woolly hair. That ain't what that means. A lot of people think that's what it means. It has nothing to do with that. What does wool mean? What does, what does that mean in the light of Jewish history? You've got to look at all that stuff. It don't, that ain't what it means. When he's caught up in the third heaven. And what? Things that are not even lawful to be talked about. He said, man, I shouldn't even be talking about this because you ain't going to understand it, but I've got to convey it somehow. We're not even to the halfway point. We have to hurry. I'm sorry. It means not only that he's permitted to, but also that he can't. You explain to somebody how the transmission works in a car and they have no concept. How you, where you start? You know your car moves, right? Hey? 
Yeah, I know. Do you know how that works? No concept. No concept. <laughs> how shall we talk about God? See, that's, that's one of the things about this book. There's so much going on there. And all the other letters, it's more concrete. It's not as abstract and it's not as futuristic. So they can speak specifically and we can get it. You know, Jesus had this problem when he's talking about the last days in Matthew. They didn't understand. He said, you're going to see this and this and this. They said, when is that? You know, how is that going to happen? What's going to happen? Before the opening of vision of Revelation, what John does, he gives us a, a, this brief word of praise. Boy, we need to remember this one throughout the whole book, okay? To him who loves us. Jesus loves us. You remember that? When all hell breaks loose on this earth and if we're still here, he loves us. When it falls apart in your family, he loves us. When everything goes wrong, he loves us. That's what he's saying. He freed us from our sin by his blood. Wow. And has made us to be a kingdom of priests and to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Remember that. You got to remember that. When everything's falling apart. For all the startling and terrifying things that happen here, and we talk about the lamb and the lion and all those things that are happening, we start out with a declaration of Jesus' love and his particular love for his, God's people. That's what he says. To whom he loves us, glory and power forever. By his sacrificial and atoning death, he expiated our, our sins. He took care of them for us. He, he, we're not guilty anymore. And freed us from the curse. Not only that, but the benefits we receive from all of that. The Holy Spirit's empowering us. His word takes us through it. The promise holds us when everything's falling apart. All those things. His death and all of them combined to free us from our sins. All of those things. He's made us to be what? A kingdom of priests. There's a sense in which we are the kingdom, right? In that saving rule. Now, we're, you know, Baptists, especially Protestants, we don't see an earthly priest, right? We're a priest. What does that mean? We're the mediators between God and people just because we share the gospel. We can't save anybody. We can't do away with their sins, but the gospel that we share is the mediate. It is the mediator. So in that sense, we are a kingdom of priests because he's given that to us, that responsibility. He's made us priests so that we can be used by that. We're, we're, that's exactly what he has in mind for us to do. We are priests. All Christians are to be able to mediate between the world and God. That's what, our, that's what our calling is, isn't it? That's what a witness is, what it's supposed to be. We mediate God to fellow sinners by proclaiming the gospel. The gospel, the good news, what Christ did for us. Basically, how much time do we have? Man, we don't have enough time to do this. Basically, there are four fundamental interpretations of the book of Revelation. This is their scheme. You understand this scheme before you start studying. This is how they come up with it, all right? And there are all kind of subdivisions under each one and footnotes. I'm just going to give you the broad general thing real quick and we'll be done. Now, dyslexic approach. It finds timeless principles in Revelation. Okay? Everyone holds that in some sense. Some are farther to one side than the other. But in some sense, most of them say that uh, it denies any specific historical or future meaning for the book. What? Oh, yeah, it's all done. There's nothing future in it whatsoever. Boy, that's crazy. I don't know how they got that one. You know, that's what they think, though. The futuristic interpretation. 
Much of what the Bible is in the book of Revelation is talk about, describes events that are still future, not just future to John's day, but the future to us. Was some of it being lived out in John's day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it still future to us? Some of it is. Absolutely. Most commonly holds that everything after the book, uh, after chapter 4 in Revelation are things that haven't happened yet that will happen. That means that some of the things they were going through in the first century uh, that takes place in these, that didn't happen. No, I, I, don't, I don't see that. There's too many references back to how he's describing things. You look at the history of uh, the emperor who was persecuting them at that time, how all that worked. There's nothing in the book of Revelation there that says, you know, there might be some moral implications. You know, like the book of Leviticus. There are moral implications uh, for us from the book of Leviticus, even though it's not specifically everything in the book of Leviticus is applied to us now since we're living in the day of Jesus. Okay? That's exactly what it is. If this interpretation is correct, you cannot read the book of Revelation and say, oh, this beast is referring to this kind of evil in this place today. That's going to be true. They said, oh, no, that can't be. Absolutely. As this unfolds, uh, it, that's the way it's going to be. They said, oh, no, that can't happen. Well, I, man, that's stretching it out there, too. It's referring to specific events still future to us. The biggest problem is that there are too many passages in the book of Revelation, which would have been firsthand situations for the people living in the day that John is writing this. About 90 uh, is when he's writing it. 90 uh, A.D., all right? Uh, that's about when it was. Referring to events in their day. They're saying, oh, no, couldn't be that. Well, he wasted a lot of time. Because if you look at the history and see all the things they were going through, absolutely. The prayers of you, it just means past, all right? That's all that means. It says everything takes place in the book of Revelation, with the possible exception of a little bit in the last chapter. All of it's already been done. None of it's future. It's all past except for a little bit in the last time, whenever Jesus comes back. In fact, it's already before John's day. Boy, you've got to stretch that one way out there to try to figure that one out. But that's some of their whole view. So they go there and they say, this is what it is. So they interpret everything in the book of Relation according to that concept. And you see how easy things get miscued if you start off in the wrong place? You bring your preconceived ideas of what it's supposed to be, then you're not open to let God speak to you and show you exactly what it means. And regardless of what the situation is, if it's this or uh, anything else, most of the events are understood to refer to the before uh, A.D. 70 when the temple fell. And everything's been done differently since then. That's what it means under Nero in the mid-60s. All these things symbolize sorts of description of historical events for John, but they're all already passed. I absolutely disagree with that. The historical interpretation, what is that one? In this view, it lays out in symbolic terms a great deal of history from the church to the first century until the end. Um, in this view is where you get a lot of those uh, millennial ideas. Uh, Pre-trib, post-trib, all-millennial, it comes out in this time frame. And if you look at history, it's amazing how in this number of years, like in the early 1800s, everybody held this view. And then in this segment of 100 years, everybody moved and held this view. It's kind of funny when you look at that, how it was that way. Everybody just kind of followed this pattern, and then somebody came up, and it changed again. But you see this one absolutely during the Reformation time. That's exactly the way it was. That's the way they thought. That's why you, if you read them, 
Who was the Antichrist during the Reformation? The Pope? You know? Well, number one, there was no Pope at the day John was writing this, right? Hello? When, when was the first Pope, Dallas? No, no, no. Peter wasn't the first Pope, but I mean the really first Pope. That they would have recognized, isn't there a day whenever it came really more influential who the Pope was? I thought it was a later date, not Peter. Anyway, uh, there was no, that concept wasn't there uh, in their day and time. But a lot of people still do say, oh yeah, that's what it means. The Roman church is, uh, he's the Antichrist. You're going to be hard pressed to make some of that fit. <laughs> but they did. John Wesley held this. George Whitfield held this. All those guys held that concept. That was it was the main thing at that point in time. Still, not enough people asked, what did it mean to them in the day John was writing? How did they interpret this? There was no pope then. <laughs> you know, not like with what we would think of a controlling person, right? So you see, you always got to say, same thing with our Constitution. What did they mean when they wrote it? How did those words fit the situation then you draw your principle from that you don't go there and change the meaning of the word that you know what they're doing boy aren't they doing it bless their heart <laughs> bless their heart or their soul where it's going to be you know it didn't exist then when this was going on some people say oh yeah that's what it means the general interpretation and we're going to quit it does not refer to things still future to us nor to things past you know it's just a philosophy what Oh, it's just an abstract philosophy. There's something we draw from, but it doesn't really mean anything. So this is what you have. When you sit down and look at this, and you talk to somebody, and you'll say, where, where are you coming from? They'll say, well, I take this approach. You have to understand some of that stuff. Uh, you, is, it, is it that wide? Is that wide? It, it really is. We're going to quit there, all right? Go back and read over all that, and read all the rest of the notes. This is just a fraction of it. So when we come back next week, you'll say, oh, okay, whether you agree or not. All right. And all this is not my, my simple understanding. I'm not that smart. I have umpteen books that I try to say, okay, I read it and I say, what is, is this what this means? And I check with some people and it's amazing how many different people out there with serious theological degrees don't agree. So we have to come to a place where this is what I think it means at this time. You know, that's my understanding. I might be wrong or somebody else may be wrong. So don't think that everything, of, every, everything that we're going to look at is just coming out of my little brain because I don't have it, all right? It's, you know, we're going to work through it together. How about that? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. You're in control. We can trust you as we, as we attempt to read and study this book that you would just reveal to us what is important to us as we go along to help us live today the way you would have us live, to bring glory to you and that people would be saved. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen.